Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. It's currently 6 a.m., and I'm your host, Elijah. Joining me as always, the lavish Rex. Hello! Welcome to another episode of Kaiju Conversation, I guess. Who died and made you the host? <laughs> you. Oh. Yes. Okay. Well, Rex, uh, since you're the host now, um, what are we doing today? Uh, well, today we are looking at uh, a classic 1954 film for one and only Them. Godzilla. Wait, what? Yes. Godzilla. Wait, wait, did we get the wrong memo? Because uh, I was told it was them. Yes, you did. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Uh, you're one week uh, behind because your death happened last week. Oh, okay. Yes. I see. Well, in that case, I'm going to be a ghost, I'm going to haunt you, and I'm going to take over this recording. So, okay. yes, today we are doing the 1954 classic masterpiece of a film, Godzilla from 1954. Now, before we get in, Rex, hmm. I don't think we've ever recorded this late, ever. <laughs> ah, yes. This is an interesting episode, because we were going to record this uh, last week, but... Um... Some people got uh, sick, and uh, now we've got to do it this week. Yes. Yes, that happened. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> Now I am up at six o'clock oh, in the morning. And someone someone was also unable to watch a certain movie. Yeah, okay. So I still <laughs> watched it. <laughs> but you made me stay up all night. <laughs> it is I have stayed up literally I haven't gone to sleep in I think almost twenty-four hours. What can you... I say except you're welcome? Oh, God. See, that's on topic because in Moana, there's a Godzilla reference. Eh? Eh? Well, I never eh? saw Moana. Me neither. Nice. Um, I think we should start a Moana podcast. Ah, yes. Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, before we get too far off the rails here, because it is very late, how are you doing this fine late night? <laughs> I'm doing fairly alright. Uh, obviously, I watched a pretty good movie today, shall I say. Yes, uh, you know, I, I really like King of the Monsters. I think it's a great film. <laughs> Which one? Um, well, um, a lot of people like to say there's a guy, uh, I think his name is uh, Kyle Chandler in it, but I never remembered seeing him. Uh, hmm. I remember, uh, Raymond Burr. Um, yeah, and Terry Mortz is such a great director, you know, I think he did a great job. I see, I see, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, we are, we are not gonna do good <laughs> 
<laughs> we uh, are not comedians, and it's yeah, very obvious. We're well, speak for yourself. I'm just tired. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> what was that? So yeah, you saw a good movie. Um, any anything awesome or new in your collection? Uh yeah, I got uh, both PS4 Godzilla games. Uh, so Godzilla versus and um. City. City Shattered and Shadow. Um, I also got, I also got the uh, Michael Crichton's The Lost World. Not really, um, not really kaiju per se, but it's an order that I've had since literally a year ago. Oh, lovely! Yes, it took a year for it to ship. Uh, I. Pretty much, I ordered it from in store, but I ordered it through like a, I believe, a back order from the UK, and then COVID hit. So you wait. What's special about this version? Like, wouldn't it have been quicker to just buy it on eBay? It would have been quicker to buy it off Amazon. I have no comment. Let's just say that by the time I got it. The receipt had had almost completely faded. So <laughs> lovely. Yes. <laughs> uh alrighty. So <laughs> have you seen any new movies lately? Any good ones or anything like that? Uh, which I did recently watch this uh Japanese indie movie called One Cut of the Dead. Yeah, is sort of a well. It's pretty much a comedy, but it's got some a bit of horror in the uh, beginning of the movie, and it's it's honestly quite good. Uh, the first thirty minutes is sort of like how do I put it? The first thirty minutes is what the entire movie revolves around. Shall I say that I that, that sounds weird to put it that way? But if you've if you see the film, you'd understand what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. For someone who's not too familiar with uh, the zombie movie genre, I quite enjoy it and would quite recommend it, even though it's not oh. quite expect. Alrighty. Yeah, there's on my master list of uh, tokusatsu to get. Um, I know that's on there. Lust of the Dead, Tokyo Zombie, Zombie <laughs> Ass. Um, there, there's quite a few. Um, oh, body Bodybuilder <laughs> from Hell, I think, is another one. Hmm. There, I got a lot of weird stuff. Um, yeah, like Lust of the Dead, for example. That's a bit weird, wouldn't you yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But I mean, uh, hey, Norman England cameos in it. Of course, and oh, you oh. know, if Norman England cameos in it, you know it's got to be good. <laughs> uh, but I'm. Uh, thank you, Rex, for asking how I'm doing. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm doing all right. <laughs> um. Honestly, I've gotten so much in lately. I I don't know what's new, and I'm not at home, so I I can't I can't look at what I got. <laughs> um, I know I got some stuff coming. Um, 
that's going to be pretty awesome. So uh, mm. that'll be pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I we've been talking now for about 10-ish minutes, and people are probably like, get to the monster action already. So yeah. um, unlike the film we are going to be discussing today, we are going to go ahead and get into the monster action. Yes. So this is actually our first Godzilla film we're discussing um, hmm. outside of initial only thoughts. Took us, only took us like 20 or so odd episodes. Yeah, well, so looking, looking at our uh, episodes, <laughs> like we, we've discussed speculation for Godzilla vs. Kong. We've discussed hmm. initial thoughts on uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. We talked about the Heisei Godzilla posters. Um, we discussed the anime trilogy. And mm. then, like, we, you know, we just discussed a few other things. But we've actually never sat down on one specific film and just talked about it. Mm. We're finally doing so. And I might add that King of the Monsters initial reactions uh, episode is uh, very outdated with my thoughts. <laughs> so, so it's not so accurate anymore. I see. Um, but anyway, yes. So we are going to be discussing Gojira or Godzilla. So to get things started off here. We're going to discuss this film's history with us. Hmm. Um, one thing that I aim to do with this uh, podcast is actually share the history other people have had with these films, with, with you know, what's going on in them and whatnot. So, start us off, Rex. What's the history of this film for you? Uh, so... For me, I guess, for me, it was sort of, I didn't see it uh, until a good few years into being, uh, into being sort of into the Godzilla series. I sort of, I knew of it. I knew that it was a revered movie and I had respected characters like Dr. Serizawa, but I guess you could say I didn't really understand why since I hadn't seen it, of course. But um, I want to say around 2017-ish, maybe, uh, I saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters, with Raymond Burr. And because mm -hmm. that was sort of the time where I was like, hey, I'm sort of back into Godzilla. Let's, uh, I might as well watch the original movie. So I watched it, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And although I have not rewatched it since, um, from what I do remember of Raymond Burkhart, I, yeah, I really enjoy it, and I, I, I just sort of understood. Okay, this is why the film's so revered. So, and how then, long has it been since you've seen the Burkhart? Ah, uh, it's been a good. I want to say. 2017 that's like four years i think oh my god three or four years 
That's literally King of the Monsters in 54, the films I watch like every other month. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see um I didn't see the original uh Japanese cut of 54 until about a year later when I actually got it on DVD. Really? Yeah. Cuz that was when I sort of got um it's when I was really trying to step up a bit in my physical media collection uh when I got Madman's release of the Godzilla Showa Classics Volume 1 and 2. That seemed interesting. Yeah. And I saw that and was like, wow. Just, wow. Mm-hmm. This, wow. Just wow? You were that blown yeah. away? Well, <laughs> compared to what I, I, what I knew, yeah, um, just it I, it's hard to describe exactly what the feeling was it just so hmm I'm stumped for a word to choose I'm just mesmerized I, I guess you could say that I guess, I guess you could say something along those along those words um, but yeah it was just what I remembered of the film, it was like just how, not only in just how dark it was, it's just every just the feel of the film, as vague as that is, the feel of the film was just very, very different, very more not surreal, but just. There's something really special about 54, and it's very hard to put a finger on what, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So, compared to Raymond Burr's, right, or just, like, the franchise in general? Uh, I'd say to both. To both, honestly. Because I, I, I don't think there's quite anything like 54 in, uh, as, like, a whole of a franchise that closest is the closest we've gotten to something to remakes of sorts are um, 84 and Shin, but neither of those I personally would consider all that straight of a remake to to the advantage of both those films, because I'm one of those people on the, of the opinion that remaking 54 is a death sentence. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get into that later on. That's that's actually a point that I want to bring up. <laughs> so, um, okay. And where where would you put this film? Uh um, just approximate it. Hmm, probably probably third or fourth favorite. I, I do think it's a, like I'm Oh, this is gonna be uh groundbreaking new opinion, but I do think it's, uh, of objectively speaking, filmmaking-wise, I do think it's the best uh, made Godzilla film, especially given the context of its creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not the one I find most entertaining, so it's not, all, it's not the one that I'll just casually go back and rewatch. Yeah. I need to sort of be a certain mood for 54. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. Although sometimes sometimes commentary tracks uh, make it a bit easier. Very true. <laughs> very especially when their name is uh, uh, David <laughs> um, and their last name is Callis. Uh, Callis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I guess I'll go ahead and share my my history with this this lovely mm-hmm. little film here. So unlike Rex, I saw it over ten years ago, um, for the first time. Um, man, I'm really just throwing a lot of shade at you right now. <laughs> um, so. I now I will say at like Rex, my first exposure to this film was the Raymond Burr cut. Um, that being because you know that's the only uh, cut that was available um, publicly since you know from 1956 till or 54 till 2004, um, and even hmm. then it was only available in the theaters for a short time and wouldn't be seen again until 2007. But I'm not going to get into all that yet. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, for, uh, so I watched the 1998 Scimitar VHS of uh, King of the Monsters. Uh, it was mm. like my, I want to say, seventh film. Uh, my aunts, of course, introduced me to Terror of Mechagodzilla first. And then it was uh, Ghidorah the Threaded Monster. And then it was Mothra versus Godzilla, uh, then <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla, Son of Godzilla, and then I think afterwards it was King of the Monsters. Um, Damn, that's a pretty good, pretty good films to be introduced into the series with. Gotta say, yeah, I'm very proud to say if you watch the Showa era, you are perfectly safe. You will like <laughs> what you see. Um, ignore the Heisei Millennium, especially the Monsterverse. Um, <laughs> you know, as my friend Michael over at the Kaiju Weekly podcast likes to mention, the uh, the awful film that's ter- uh, King of the Monsters. <laughs> you know, you know that film, Michael. But yeah, I, I grew up um, partially on the film. Um, now, eventually, and remember, I was a wee lad. Um, Eventually, I watched the Millennium Era, and uh, I believe... Okay, so, funny story. I didn't watch them in order, so I didn't know how they were supposed to go canonically. I thought they were all connected. When I saw Godzilla Final Wars, like, a few years later, or a year or two, something like that, um, when I saw Final Wars... uh, and the old man said they made a huge fire, burned everything in existence. I didn't realize they were talking about the A-bomb and H-bomb. So, I thought the first Godzilla movie was Mothra versus Godzilla because there was a fire uh, on Godzilla's head. So, I was like, uh, oh, uh, huge uh, fire, they're burning Godzilla, first Godzilla movie. <laughs> and eventually, you know, I, I I realized, oh, Godzilla King of the Monsters is the first one, and I never made that mistake ever again. Um, 
But that I, I was about that now that I know that. <laughs> but uh, thank you for giving so, me that ammunition. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was a, I was a kid. Don't yell at me. I'm also the same guy that thought Grimlock was Mechagodzilla and Mechagodzilla was Grimlock. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, rewinding now. Uh. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Gojira was actually the first Godzilla movie I owned on DVD. Because hmm. uh, I had borrowed VHSs of the Showa era. Hmm. Um, I never actually bought a DVD or anything. And then a good friend of mine um, gave me a package. And I actually found the letter recently. And it huh. said uh, to Elijah... Every Godzilla fan should have this movie in their collection. <laughs> and it was the classic media 2007 double pack with 54 in King of the Monsters. Um, and I still, and that's that. And then the first thing you said was ill and threw it away. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I still have that copy to this day. Um, it's sitting in a drawer. Um, now I, I use my Criterion Collection Blu-ray um, as my preferred viewing method. But mm. I, I still hold near and dear that classic media set there. It's pretty good. Um, but, I yeah. It, I mean, you know. No, I, I'm not going to make fun of you. I already do that enough for that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, I'm pretty sure it was the first Godzilla movie I owned on DVD, and, uh, you know, uh, for the longest time, I never watched the 54 version, because I wasn't in the subtitles. Um, hmm. eventually I got over that, and once I learned there was a thing called commentary track, uh, I started watching it a lot more. Hmm. Um, you, you got over that one-inch barrier. I did, I did. Very Good proud of that. Good to hear. But I, I'll and I'll be honest here. Until recently, I didn't sit down and actually examine the film. Literally, for this this episode was the first time I feel like I sat down and like didn't my eyes didn't leave the screen. Like I was hmm. so glued in into examining it and looking at it that I don't think I had ever done that before. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I mean, most of the time I just partially watch it and listen to Callet talk about the film. So, you know, that that's kind of what I usually do. You see, uh, I'm sort of the opposite, where I usually just watch the film normally. And today, for this, I watched it with the Callet commentary. <laughs> I mean, I, I would watch it, but I don't have time to sit down for an hour and a half. And you know, read and watch because usually I'm up doing stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's that's kind of my propel me mm. as much, but um, I hold it near and dear to my heart still uh, for what it's done and uh, how much money it's cost me. <laughs> yeah, how much money it's costed both of us. Uh. Yeah, I'm also the proud owner of 17 copies of 54 slash 56. So, 
Um, I have no shame whatsoever. You do, you're just hiding it. So, moving on. <laughs> Time to really discuss the film, now that we're done sharing our personal thoughts and opinions of the film. So, I guess, do you want to discuss the film, or do you... Uh, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and just discuss it, and okay. then we'll review it uh, later. Okay. So... You said this was the really the first time you saw it with commentary? Uh, no. I, I have seen it. I have listened to the Callet commentary uh, months before, but I, but I just sort of... I didn't really pay as much attention to it, I don't think. Like, I still paid attention to a good majority of it, but there, there were a lot of points where I sort of just phased out kind of tired you know how it is i guess i'm sure you know how it is now <laughs> yeah i just looked behind me and the sun is rising nice mm -hmm. very nice yeah. <laughs> all right so let me ask you this does the film hold up to special effects wise till today honestly i would say yes see I partially agree, but after tonight's viewing, I'm going to get a lot of flack. I'm, I'm actually trying to be a negative towards the film. Uh, hmm. I do feel like some of it doesn't hold up as good. Sure, I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong in saying that. I like that It's undeniable that the film, j just by being as old as it is, it's not... It's... And just how rudimentary a lot of the production of the film was, there's many imperfections, to say the least. I uh, wouldn't whether... say many. I mean, well, there there is some, but I feel like for the most part, it, it holds mm. itself pretty well. Yeah, but there are definite, um, some visible mistakes, inconsistencies, things like that. Some of them I don't think you can really blame uh anyone involved because because like things like having uh the the puppet match the head of the 54 suit those don't those bother some people but i'm and i and i get why but not something that's particularly ever bothered me see so whenever like, whenever i mentioned there are it doesn't hold up as well i honestly didn't even think about that I kind of forgot that it that age. I just thought it looked fine. But well, as what, you were saying, what, 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 what does um? What do you think has aged? Um, or what do you think? What do you dislike about the film's effects? Then, well, first things first. I don't dislike it. I, I want to make that clear. I don't dislike the special effects. I love them. I think it's great. I, I honestly, I I don't have. I'm just trying to be analytical here. I don't really have a problem. Um, but watching it tonight, uh, I think the biggest flaws I saw. Um, there are a few editing mishaps. Uh, yeah, I I I wouldn't personally call that really effects issue. I'd call I'd just say that's a post production issue, an editing issue. Right. Um, and it could also always be that some shots were missing. 
I, I don't know. I don't know, but that's just kind of my guess since the original negatives are missing. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, but um there is a shot with the tail where uh and it's it's whenever Godzilla destroys the it, building. Uh, no, 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 no. It's it's where Godzilla destroys the building where you it was like the main headquarters for them to figure stuff out. Um and as everybody runs out, the building collapses. And then it cuts to a shot of inside the building where you know it's destroyed. And there's windows, and outside the windows, Godzilla's tail is there. It's very stiff, however, and at the whenever uh, it moves to the second window, you can clearly tell there's a very thick wire just holding it in place to make it move. And it just it, I think it's one of the more lackluster shots in the film. While I love the idea, I feel like that could have been perfected more, hmm. um, even for its time. Sure, but uh, outside of that. Um, I, I, David Callow pointed this out. I don't have an issue. Um, and honestly, I'm just being nitpicky because it's really that one shot, um, mm. and some buildings crumbling. Um, mm. but, uh, you know, whenever the, um, jet fighters are shooting at Godzilla, um, obviously the missiles look like they're on strings. And then, uh, at the, whenever it's the wide angle shot, which is beautiful, I might add. Uh, the the little balls uh, hit the the end of the uh, set and fall into the water, but I think that makes a cool effect. Um, you don't really see, so I'm not really gonna complain. I, I again, I don't actually hate or dislike any of the special effects. I just noted there's some some aspects that are, you know, not up to par as much as they could be. Hmm. I see. Uh, well, on the thing of, on, on the topic of special effects, I guess I, well, I'm, I'm gonna actually praise, um, this film for, gonna praise this film for its optical effects and compositing, because, honestly, a lot of it is quite seamless. Yes, um, compositing, I've watched the, uh, on the Criterion DVD, they've got the, uh, Koichi Kawakita um, introduction mm. with the featurette of uh, Godzilla's photographic effects, which uh, showcase the before and afters of the uh, matte paintings and whatnot. Huh. And oh my god, I didn't realize how much uh, matting there was in the film. Like it, it's almost seamless. Like it, it's so freaky. I'll have to show you the the special feature. It's only nine minutes long, um, but it, I was shocked. Hmm. Uh, honestly, like watching it, my jaw was on the floor. I was so surprised. Oh yeah, no. Like uh, I remember that was one of the few things that actually stuck with me the first time I watched um, or listened to the Callot commentary of film when he pointed it out during the. Odo Island scenes, I was like, just stunned. I, I mean, sure the foot, the footsteps I figured were map paintings, but a lot of the other shots 
never would have thought of it. Never would have thought there were effects shots. Yeah, and that's that's the part that blew me away. Well, the Odo Island stuff I could tell partially, but um, some, some scenes, yeah, or some shots, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, I could not believe the the composition that they were able to do. It's 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 honestly better than a lot of the Godzilla films. And, and to be fair, I do think that's probably probably just an advantage of a film being black and white, possibly. And that's another point I want to get into uh, later on. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the composition, the mats, all hmm. of that are just beautifully executed. I know they also used a... Um, I don't remember the exact details of it, but they used some sort of... I want to say it's called like a double exposure technique mm-hmm. uh, that referenced where they would just more or less shoot the shoot the scenes months apart with on the same film film cell, and and if literally anything went wrong, the shots would have to be scrapped. Correct, correct. Um, which is also why. Uh, the film, at least on the Criterion restoration, um, looks a little worse than your typical remastered film that is until the 4K. Um, because of that uh, that filming technique, they had to handle the the actual cells a lot more, and thus it got dirty and it got scratched up, and you know, it just it it aged a lot more a lot quicker than uh other films of that time did also didn't help uh what it was filmed on wasn't the the greatest yeah. of uh of stuff mm. but yeah yeah and that's the the part where the stuff you just mentioned about the filming technique that was really surprising to me um yeah it, it it's just it's so amazing that they filmed like let's say they filmed a shot of people running away and then six months later they film Haru and Nakajima walking through a city and they just it fits seamlessly. That that's the fact they were yeah. able to do that just blows me away. Yeah, and 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 it's like Nowadays, compositing is just something where it's like where we sort of just think of it as sort of just a part of the process, something that's pretty, pretty normal, pretty simple, pretty straight to the point. Like you just shoot actors on a green screen with good lighting, yada yada yada. But and even though there is more to it than how I just explained it, uh, even still, the the point I'm making is simply that. Back then, this isn't just something that you could rely on. This is something that you had to use sparingly and wisely. And I think that makes it all the more impressive when it's used in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff in this film, I think, is really impressive. Um, like I said, the matte paintings to the composition, to the, hmm. you know... All that it's really surprising what they were able to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, 
the suit looks amazing um in the film i, I honestly i was i forgot how quickly it moved it actually wasn't as slow as i remembered yeah yeah it, it's kind of funny how it does move i i, I don't want to say quickly but um when when you picture the 54 suit you don't think of it as like the running the running uh godzilla of like the 60s 70s where he'd be able to run a fairly decent distance pretty easily you sort of just think of stiff movements of the 54 suit not that they're necessarily a bad thing i think they're kind of to the movie's own advantage the stiffness of the suit definitely definitely but or yeah it's just the two suits <laughs> true well technically there was three really because you had uh you had the one that was of course you had the half suit um both <laughs> sides you had the full suit um and there was another one that I think they used for some filming, but they ended up scrapping it. Um, I could be wrong, but I seem to remember there being a third suit um, that they used that never actually ended up in the final product. Might be the one that's might be the one that we that you often see in uh, promo images. It wasn't that one. Um, oh. It was it was more like a stiffer more upright uh, version of the suit we all know and love. Hmm. Uh, I'll have to send you an image uh, yeah. of it. But, uh, yeah, and I, I, the suit, I think, especially considering for its time, this was a, the first time they had ever done something like that. Yeah, I mean, the only films to have... The only American film to have done it before was um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, a mere matter of months earlier. Correct. But even then, that was a skin-tight, essentially, suit um, that wasn't... It was similar, but it wasn't nearly Very different ballparks. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, it, the suit, I think, really shines in the film. Um, and part of that, I think, is also due to it being in black and white, which yeah. we'll get into here a little later on. Um, now, I, I, I really want to uh, discuss and really carry a conversation on this next part. Sure. Because I feel like it's needed. Sure. The characters. Okay. The human characters. What did you think of them? How would I put it? Um, I, I'm not the type of guy to say that, um, to look at the series and say, oh, only the first Godzilla has good human characters. I, I, I think that a lot of Godzilla movies have at, at, at least decent characters. I don't think a lot of them are downright, I wouldn't call a lot of them great, but I'd call a fair lot decent. Uh, this, this film's sort of one of the... This film's, of course, 
renowned for being on the higher end of the spectrum with characters like uh, Dr. Serizawa and Yamane. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I think that the weaker aspect of the film is Ogata and Emiko, to be completely honest. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Hmm. I, hmm, I don't know if I'd really call this a flaw of the film more, rather than just a personal problem that it's just more like a preference of mine, but they, they, neither of them really feel, um, how do I put it? In love? No, 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 no. Not, not, not the love plot, just actively engaged in the plot. Like, um, it's not, that's not the right way to phrase it. Um, just like they have a, like their actions have a legitimate effect on the plot. Although Emiko's and Ogata's do have an, a a very clear effect on um, Serizawa near the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, outside of that, though, I don't really feel like they... I, I kind of wish they did a little bit more, I guess. See, I feel like you could say the same for Sarazawa, though. Oh. Like, he's barely in the film. Yeah. He doesn't do a whole lot. He's just kind of there. And then at the very end, they're like, we need your oxygen destroyer. No, I will not give you my oxygen destroyer. We're going to take your oxygen destroyer. Okay, I will burn all my notes and I will come with you. I'm going to do this by myself. No, you're not. Okay, you can come down. Now, you go up, I'm going to stay down here and say farewell. Like, outside of killing Godzilla, what does Sarazawa have? Hmm, that's true. That, 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 is a good, that is actually a good counterpoint. And, let me add this. What does Dr. Yamane do except be kind of our exposition guy? Hmm. That, admittedly, not much. I... Hmm. Hmm, thinking about this. <laughs> You've sort of see I, made me I I what I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about the fifty four film is clearly your main characters are Emiko and Ogata. Mm. However, Ogata does nothing for the film. He really doesn't yeah. because Ogata is our main star. Akira Takarada, Mr. Hanson. <laughs> he was the leading man of the film. He got humbled. Does he discover Godzilla? No, that's Yamani. Does he kill Godzilla? No, that's Serizawa. Does he find the oxygen destroyer? No, that's that's Serizawa again. <laughs> Does he tell people about the oxygen? No, that's Emiko. Ogata does nothing for this film. Yet, he is our main character. Mm. It's so interesting, because really and honestly, as much as Ogata is our main character, I think it's a valid argument that we don't have just one. I think we have a five-character story. We have Yamani at the beginning, 
We have Emiko in the middle. We have Sarazawa at the end. And Ogata is just kind of the guy we're following. I guess sort of the guy to sort of... Uh, relate to, almost. Yeah, relate to. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's something I really like is Ogata isn't the scientist. He's not, you know, a reporter. He's just kind of a guy that works for this... He's a sailor. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's yeah, he's a sailor. He, he doesn't do anything else. And that's what I love. I love the fact that Ogata doesn't need to have anything special. Ogata is who Ogata is. He's an everyday person. But he's caught up in this just as much as everyone else is. The only difference is that he doesn't die. <laughs> Neither does Emiko yeah. or uh, Yamani. Yeah. Uh, other civilians. So you're wrong. Um... Others, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, there's other civilians that we meet. We meet early on, and then uh, like to see them get Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> but that that's just kind of my thoughts. And I love. I. I mean, I sound really corny here. I love the romance plotline. I, I think it's a great addition because it's point it, it's it's almost non-existent. Yeah. But once you understand the ramifications for it being existent, the story makes so much more sense. Mm. Why does Emiko and Ogata not publicly voice the relationship? Because it's against tradition. Yeah. Because essentially, Emiko's cheating on Sarazawa. Yamani kind of arranged the marriage mm. for Emiko and Sarazawa. You don't know what Yamani's going to think if Emiko is like, yeah, I don't love him. You know, it's, and, and it's so interesting. The tragedy of Sarazawa's character. Of course. So co- it adds to the fact so that. He up his work that he. Just, he had no idea this was going on beforehand. Or at least from what I remember the movie explaining. So, at the end, Sarazawa says, I wish you two happiness. So, I, I think Sarazawa knew the entire time. He just wasn't saying anything. And I, I think this, I think Honda kind of is relating it to military men. Hmm. They go to war. True, actually. Their wives don't don't stay respectful. They come back. They're gone. It's an interesting parallel that I'm really curious if Honda actually was going for. Was you know, going off to war, coming back and your your loved one no longer loving you. Possibly. Well, we could be reading I, into it. <laughs> yeah, but I've never heard anyone make that comparison. Mm. So maybe maybe I am reading too too deep into this. 
I probably am. <laughs> but doesn't everyone with Honda? Uh, that's true. <laughs> Tip for Godzilla's Revenge. People don't actually read into that film enough. Yeah, true, true, true. But I, I don't. I like the characters, and I'm with you. I think a lot of Godzilla movies have good characters, or good characters, or okay characters. So yeah. I think this one just has. I think it stands out because yeah. of the the love story, and on top of that, Ogata being our main character yet not actually doing anything. It's just it's a very interesting dynamic, <laughs> and I'm so happy that they they dealt with and actually did I, we we sort of brought him up in passing but i think we should also at least give a little bit of a mention to, to takashi shimura as dr kyoe yamane that's true he in the later in the later act of the story he doesn't really do too much but for i don't know how to describe it he has this what's the word i'm looking for he has a presence on screen, yeah. Um, and I think it's I because he was an older actor by the time Gojira came out, and I kind of feel like towards the second half of the film where he kind of sidelines mm. was kind of him passing the torch to like Akihito Harata, Akira Takarada, um, Momoko Kochi, you know, just kind of moving it to the new generation of Japanese actors. Yeah. But he does have this good um solemnness and sadness really to the film and it, I find it interesting how his role in the film is more I guess subdued to the original mm -hmm. some of the original ideas that Kayama had, Shigeru Kayama had for his character, like how he was going to try to actually stop um, the mil the Japanese military um, using the using the pa uh, the electricity against Godzilla and mm -hmm. they clash with Emiko in that sequence yeah and I honestly I'm happy they didn't go with that kind of more typical mad scientist yeah it, I mean that's that's mainly because of Honda zone um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's a bit... I, I see it sort of as a bit of a more mature way to take his character, I guess. I don't know if mature is the right term. I it's It goes against the cliché. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it beneficial, because uh, I know David Callick compared it to The Thing from Another World, yeah. but really any 50s sci-fi radiation you know film there's always that one scientist he's like oh don't kill it keep it we must preserve it <laughs> and it got really monotone very quickly yeah and yamani really stands out because he isn't that mad scientist character he tries to... He, he is different, and I think it's also because uh, Shimura doesn't strike me as a mad scientist. Yeah. Um, like, even in even in uh, the Kurosawa films I've seen him in, he's very laid... 
he brings a sense of respectability. Mm. His presence on screen, you feel as he is a very respectable human being. Yeah. And I really like that. Um, I really want to see a Karu because. Oh, um, yeah. Because uh, I've heard that's a great film and Shimura is the star of that. Yeah, I, I, I had an opportunity to watch it and I regret not watching it when I had that. Oh, I might pick up that criterion. I might do that. I, I, I do need to see that one. <laughs> I need to pick up a few criterions. <laughs> Me too. Damn Showa era films collection. <laughs> Not gonna get into that, but damn that thing for scratching my disc or getting mm-hmm. Damn it. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the, the character aspects I think are really awesome. And I'm just gonna go ahead and make this stance now. The human characters do matter in Godzilla movies. No matter what you say, the human characters are a must-have for all of your Godzilla films. Hmm. And I will say with dignity, the more human character scenes you have, the better the film is. Hmm. You just have to do it right. You don't. You can't Michael Doherty it and give us a bunch of lackluster subpar characters that make really awful jokes. Mm. I mean, to be fair to King of the Monsters, uh, I thought it was better than Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. <laughs> and a few other. Great compliment. Great compliment. Just amazing. Yes, that is that is perfect. That's exactly what what they should get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess we should go ahead and move on to uh a, the topic that we might discuss for a little bit. Mm. So uh, last year, um so in twenty twenty yes. Toho released during Godzilla Day a trailer of the colorized it was a colorized trailer of 54. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen a colorized version. There was some colorized footage in some of the ads for Godzilla vs. Destroyer. There was also Godzilla um, and, the, and Godzilla. the unmade Toho colorization that from the same year as Godzilla. Correct. Now, I want to discuss this because I think this is a great discussion point. Mm. Should they or should they not colorize Gojira? Hmm. Personally, if you ask me, though I don't, I wouldn't say I have as solid of an argument as I imagine you have, given I've heard you discuss this before. Um, I would say no. I don't. I am not for Gojira being colorized. I think as a sort of a thought experiment or like a technology experiment it's sort of oh cool we can do this but as a legitimate as a legitimate project i don't think it i i don't find it as respectful to the film to honda to suburaya etc or to knock either Mm -hmm. 
One, okay, do you want one me? quick point I want to make that's sort of unrelated to this, but I do I don't think that Tanaka gets enough credit for his um for his influence. His role? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. One hundred percent. Because from to my understanding, he's more or less the one who basically pioneered the idea. Yeah, I mean, he was the one who started it. Uh, I mean, his crew got denied the visas to, to do the uh, co-production Shadow. with Indonesia. Uh, what's it called? Shadow in the... God damn it. I, I memorized it before, but I don't remember it now. Shadow. Shadow in the shadow, of course. Sorry, that's it. Yeah, and on the way back, Honda was trying to figure out what to put in that, that empty spot for a film. <laughs> And in a story that, and behold, in a story that would, uh, that Gamera would have a very similar story to, of its Yeah, interesting. So next time I get on a plane, I'm gonna probably think of the next giant monster. <laughs> right here. Just hope you're more of a Gojira rather than a Gamera. True. Which actually, do you think it's because you're looking down on the world? You're on, you're at a higher height in looking hmm, down. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but I, that that'd be an interesting theory. I, I I don't do enough flying to really have much of an opinion on that. Only ever been, only ever done it uh, at one point in my life. So you know. Yeah, but uh. Backtracking us to the colorized thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you want me to uh, sure. to go on my little rant here? Okay, the fifty-four Godzilla film should never be colorized. It should not be a thought to do. You should not spend money on it. <laughs> Here's why: a colorized version of fifty-four not only is damaging history because it was in black and white. It goes against the wishes of the director and would look horrible. While watching the film tonight, I had that in the back of my head. I had that thought just lingering there, colorized 54. While watching the film, I noticed they used the black and white to their, their advantage. Because there are some huge blaring issues in the film, but you don't see them. You can make them out, but you don't see it. The reason for that is Honda intentionally filmed in black and white. Honda filmed in black and white because that's what he had to deal with. And he made it so it would work. Hmm. What, what, what are uh, specific little things you're referring to? It a lot of the destruction sequences, um, in a close up of a building, um, cr- uh, crumbling down, you actually see a beam poke through and then it goes back. Um, and that's that's not very clear unless you're watching the film in slow mo or frame by frame or in color. Um, a lot of the you know, the stop stop motion sequences they don't look bad because they're shrouded in shadow yeah um godzilla himself there's no issues with the special effects but him walking will look 
10 times less menacing if it's in color. Hmm. The fact that it's really hard to make things out is what brings the film, I think, to a whole new level. And so I, I think colorizing it would damage that and would actually open the film up to be dated even more. Hmm. And I, I'll go ahead and make the devil's advocate argument here. People don't watch black and white movies. Therefore, if we want 54 to stay relevant, they should colorize it. Rex, what, what, if, if somebody rebuttaled with that, what would you, what, what's, what's your thoughts? Well, to be honest, uh, to sort of go with the um, with the look of the film, I think that visually a colorization would not work with because of the lighting of the film. Uh, right, specifically but, a lot of contrast. But, but okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here as much as it's going to hurt. <laughs> The film is in black and white, and people don't want to watch black and white movies. They're boring. Hmm. They're not interesting. Hmm. What would I say to that? Um. It, it hurt me to say that. <laughs> that hurt. It's hard to get someone out of that mindset, because when they're in that mindset, they're not they're generally not looking to be open to a different idea. Mm-hmm. So, so while sure, a black and white film may not be as seemingly visually appealing, I think that honestly, Gojira, the, the black and some black and white feelings, uh, films, whether intentional or not, have this sort of, I guess, dream, almost dreamlike feeling to them in their visuals. Yes, but what we're trying to do is make the film still relevant. Hmm. Well, well, here's the thing. How does, outside of just making it possibly look a little prettier and being impressive for as like a sort of experiment how does that how does that improve film's message in any way it improves it because honda would make a film in color if he had the chance sure so what's there to say that honda wouldn't have done it in color on top of it would improve it because then it would make it still relevant today but, um, but the thing with that, <laughs> the the thing the thing with that point is just it. Uh, what am I fucking trying to say? <laughs> I, I like this. This is actually really good. Fuck you. <laughs> no, because it's making you think, which is great. 
I have to actually develop my points. Do you, <laughs> do, do you want me to step in and just kind of give you my thought? Because yeah, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I'm also like, yeah, but you're wrong. Sure. Um. So Let's see if I can bounce off that. Okay. Bit. So my my whole thing with that is here's my rebuttal. Honda probably didn't have a chance to do a color film. He might have, he would have done it if he could have, but he didn't have it. So, he went with black and white. The film we have was intended to be made in black and white. Hmm. It was not intended to be filmed in black and white and colorized. It was always intended to be in black and white. Now, because I'll, I'll tell you something about film production. Before you go shoot a movie, you need to sit down and create a shot list with everything. And when you create a shot list, you put down what the camera lens, uh, where the angle's at, the colors, the lighting. That's all written down. So Honda already planned this film to be black and white before filming. So, the argument of Honda would have made a color film, true, but the film he made was not intended to be in color. So there's my argument there. On top of Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai was also a big-budget film of that year. Mm. It There's no conversation about colorizing that. <laughs> I think there'd be a bit of controversy if there was any. Oh yeah. Um and then the next the next uh reason is uh I think it's still relevant. Hmm. Um fifty four also it it's a message of its time. Hmm. But fifty four still definitely has some stuff that is very relevant, you know, hmm. the the threat of nuclear weapons. And even, even while yeah, what was that? Um, Honda's idea of scientists needing to not only have necessarily not only have good intentions with their work, but being having the responsibility with their work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something and is. Though we do, though we of course have ethical discussions and, and ethics codes within the world of science, it's something that not a lot of people really, it's just generally when people discuss the science of things, not a, not a lot of people talk about, is this ethical? Mm -hmm. Or at least not enough people, I'd say. Right, and actually going back to the characters a bit, that's another thing I like about Yamani, is and all, all the characters, is we get to see a well-rounded discussion, almost. Hmm. Should they kill Godzilla? Should they study him? You know, and I think that's a great narrative that they don't really bring up anymore in Godzilla films. It's always, kill, kill, kill. They never really touch upon that that other opinion. I mean, or when they do, uh, it's with subpar characters. That's true. Like a certain <laughs> recent movie. That's, that's very 
Um, but yeah, it's just I. I feel like the relevance argument doesn't hold up because it's still relevant. Um, and and again, I mean, look of, at outside of maybe giving boosting the film's popularity. I don't really see how that how colorizing the film makes its message any more potent, any more reverent than it already is. It, it, it's right. not and like 54 that, was even subtle about its message. It's very, very clear what it's about. And if you can't understand it at all, then the ending more or less spells it out for you. And another thing is, the film is heavily based on Real event. Lucky Dragon number 5. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but I never hear anybody talk about Lucky Dragon number five. So, by that definition, it's already irrelevant. Like, the film is heavily based on that. The first act of the film is 100%. The opening scene is more or less a recreation of it. I mean, even descriptions of a radio operator dying. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. The the opening to the film, that first act, and is heavily inspired by the Lucky Dragon number five. And and I'm very tired that the movie hold that in having that opening scene, it does not it does not make clear what happened to it. Like sure, in mm -hmm. retrospect, we know it's a monster movie, but mm -hmm. let's just say you were this just happened to be on a TV or something, or you just accidentally walked into the wrong movie theater, you wouldn't know what, you wouldn't really know what's going on. It's a great, it's a great hook to the movie. Exactly. And I think this is where I think we're going to start fading into the review part. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, when watching the film, I kind of noticed this. Um, it's very sudden and it's very fast paced. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I think it might have been Martin Scorsese, but I don't remember. But somebody said, if you cannot grab the attention of your audience within the first three minutes of your film, you have failed. Hmm. And Honda fulfills that three minutes in a matter of seconds. Hmm. And I think that is what's so amazing about the film is Honda does not take a second. Honda jumps right on the ball and drags you in and makes you curious what is happening. Yeah. Why is there giant or bright flashes of light in the ocean burning these boats? And, you know, if Fukubi score, we haven't even talked oh. about if Fukubi yet. But if Fukubi score, is just amazing in this way, oh, yeah. and it really helps you. Hmm. It, it's it honestly comes as no surprise that a lot of people do credit it as his his best score, and I think even him he himself may have said that he believes it was his best uh, film score, the best film score he did in his entire career. I don't agree with that, but I can respect the man. Uh, given as well that when he was composing the film, all he didn't he didn't really get to see he didn't see the special effects sequences. His rough cut of the film 
had all of Honda's scenes, but Tsuburaya's scenes were just blank, and he just had to rely on what Tsuburaya was was trying to explain. Acted. Yeah, literally in the film, whenever they were showing uh, uh, him the film, (laughs) Tsuburaya would get up and act the scenes out. (laughs) That I wish there was a camera on there. Oh, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> That's such a missed opportunity. <laughs> but yeah, it's just everything about that opening really hammers home. Yeah, what the film is about. Yeah, and especially when you consider that happened in March of '54 and the film yeah. came out in November. Yeah, just how recent so. and really relevant it was at the time that made headlines you know the first human being to die from the oh, a-bomb yeah, yeah was the, a japanese yeah wasn't it the radio and the first person himself yeah so so that's the h-bomb but the first human being recorded to die from the a-bomb <sighs> was japanese and then the first human being to die from the h-bomb again was japanese yeah. That made headlines. There was controversy. There was um, uh, the Japanese families actually um, made the U.S. government pay them two million dollars. I mean, there is. I mean, some people do consider it the third, pretty much the third bombing of Japan, sort of an unofficial one. I've never heard that one. I I don't remember where I heard it from. I've. But I have heard that some people have unofficially titled it the third bombing of Japan. I think that's a little extremist. Uh, agreed. But it is still an interesting an, in- an interesting take on the situation. Sure. And then on top of that, uh, the, the Castle Bravo testing mm. is still in the top five largest uh, bomb testings in the world i believe it's number four now and and whenever you look at a diagram the a-bomb only would take up like a two mile radius the h-bomb is like 10 times that and and so when you consider you know all the facts and at the time the lucky dragon number five incident blew up Mm. like there was not a single person in japan that did not know what the <clears throat> let me try and pronounce this was Daigo Ukra Maru. I probably butchered that. Mm. I apologize. I believe it's on, no, it's actually on display in Japan. It is, yeah, it is. So in the 60s, they threw the boat into a landfill, <laughs> they threw it away, and they were done. It was no longer radioactive. The Japanese government restored, they took it out. And they preserved it. It's now on display for kids to go look at. Um, no radiation, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but um, to essentially quote Greg uh, Bluefielder, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that last name. I apologize. Um, it now serves as a reminder for what the H-bomb can do um, to people. Hmm. We're we're getting a lot deeper than I thought we would when it came <laughs> to the political political side of fifty four. But hmm. hey, 
54 is a very politically charged film. Yeah. So I'm happy about that. Hmm. Do you want to go ahead? Because I feel like we, we've, you know, we touched the characters. Do you, do you want to talk a bit more about Ifakube? Or do you want to get into kind of our review here? Because we are at about an hour and like 10 ish minutes. I'd, I'd say just briefly talk, let's just briefly talk a little bit about Ifakube. Uh, okay. And then so transition into. Uh, sort of review of sorts, but um, so you want to start us off? Sure. First things first, I think if Fukube, I think a lot of okay, I love the main theme, the da 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 da. I <laughs> love that. I love the military march. Interestingly, the main theme wasn't but, even supposed to be Godzilla's theme, correct? Correct. Um, is the military, yeah, which is really um, interesting. but. I'm gonna go out and say this right now. The the tracks that nobody talks about mm. are the better tracks. Yeah. Um the Odo Island uh ritual. I, I don't know how many times I've said it. That is one of my favorite pieces that Fukube's done, and it's only a minute long. Mm. And it's it's literally the Odo Island ritual song. I love that. Um the the Japanese flute. Um uh, it's it, I love that. At the opening, uh, whenever Godzilla destroys the boat, that that's motif that's going on right there. I love that. That's such a great motif, and it's so suspenseful. It, it's kind of like pre-Jaws, uh, with with how it's kind of it, it's more fast beat, but it does kind of give me some Jaws vibes with uh, its sound. And then, you know, of course, the other themes that, you know, people talk about, those are great, too. Um, but I really like the secondary, like, B-side, almost, uh, music in this. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't quite consider uh, my personal favorite uh, track from the soundtrack necessarily one of the uh, forgotten, if you will, ones. Uh, I... I love, um, what's it called, uh, Godzilla Under the Sea, from, of course, the scene where mm-hmm. Serizawa and Ogata go down. <laughs> I Actually, mm-hmm. real quick, I hate to interject here, but that's another shot that, if colorized, would really look oh, bad. Yeah. When Godzilla appears in Tokyo Bay for the first time, and he goes back under the water, the tail actually does not go under. It floats. Really? So, yes. Um, if you look really close, you can see that the tip of that tail is not... It, it's, it's just sitting there in the water. Um, but you have to look really close. And if they colorize that, they'd have to either digitally remove that or just find a way to colorize it so it looked just like the water. And that would look pretty bad. <laughs> hmm, that's... Interesting to keep in mind whenever I next take a look at the film. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And but I guess no dis- going back to music. Well, no discussion of if Kube would be quite right if we didn't at least bring up uh, the sound design of the film, which was recorded. I believe it was being recorded with uh, a lot of the music around the same time. Correct. Very correct. 
apparently the, the the stomping noises were uh there's a lot of a lot of mixed stories on that, but apparently according to an interview with Ifakube on uh the eighth disc of Criterion Show set, I believe he said that that was actually that that sound was made by complete accident and that Correct. and that it was a box some sort of box that fell. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a speaker, if I remember right, a speaker that got pushed over. Ah, I think when Ifakube uh, heard it, um, he was like, that's it. That's the sound. And so we got the monstrous stomps that represented the bomb explosion. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's, that was something that when looking into the film, I was sort of curious about, but didn't but didn't expect to get that as an answer and found it rather interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then and then we all know the story behind the roar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amazing roar. Yeah. But yeah, everybody in this, um, Kayama with the script, Honda with his directing, his co-writing, Super Aya special effects, all great. Just everything, and real quick, don't expect this to be your definitive. No, we're... This, is, this isn't it's... some sort of revolutionary, uh, groundbreaking look at 54. I mean, I'm literally... I've been up now for over 24 hours. <laughs> I'm not gonna be like, did you know 54 was actually created by Daie? Because Toho worked out a secret deal with that. No, I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> I got nothing like that. That would be an awesome twist, um, though. <laughs> that would be. That would be. Um, but yeah, everybody behind the film just made a masterpiece. So, should we go ahead and get into our kind of review and thoughts of the film? Sure. I mean, we've more or less been getting into that as is. <laughs> yeah. And sort of um, a loose analysis of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, I also want to point something out. Did you notice when Godzilla reveals himself for the first time, there's no music? Hmm. No, I did not. But that's, but that's an interesting thing to think about, actually. Mm-hmm. When when Godzilla peers over the mountain, there's no music. Hmm. I, I'm curious. I wonder if that's because if Akube thought it'd be wrong to. Uh, Take away from just the the shock of the scene hmm. with some music. That is interesting. I've never thought of that before. Yeah, that was just kind of, uh, an interesting thing. Also, um, I noticed that in the film they compare Godzilla to a volcano and a typhoon. Yeah. So another little interesting thing there about natural disasters, both of which are very relevant in Japan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I guess, should we go ahead and just make our reviews very quick? Sure. I, I think it's... I, I think everybody kind of knows where we're oh, going by this point. Do you want to go ahead and start us off? Uh, sure. I sort of... My general thoughts on uh, Godzilla or Gojira, whatever you want to call it, um, is that it it's a legendary film that that is well deservingly revered the way it is, arguably 
deserving of even more so because I kind of because some in some way the respect it gets from certain audiences is a bit more of a, a begrudging um, respect, if you will, where they're sort of like sort of acknowledging it because they have to. But that that's a that's a whole another issue. But um, no, it's I would say it's one of the best produced Toho films uh, that I've seen. That I've seen. It's probably my favorite of Honda's films, and yeah, on almost every level, the film, just the film, just works. It's not, it's not a subtle film, but it does not need to be subtle. It would almost feel disingenuous if it was subtle about what it's trying to tackle, given how literally, quite literally, big. Its subject matter is, if you will. Mm, I see what she did there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess I'll go ahead and throw my my two cents into the ring. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I've been getting into Japanese film a little bit more lately, and I, I've really been getting into Kurosawa films. Kurosawa films are also higher budget, um, bigger films. Its time, and if those have anything to say about other Japanese films, which I'm by no means a Japanese film expert, um, but I, I do respect and I would love to um, be one in the future. Hmm. Um, Gojira is definitely made differently than all other Japanese films of its time. Um, I mean, just the sheer fact Gojira is technically speaking the first tokusatsu sci-fi film of its scale now yes you've got the rainbow man yes you've got the invisible man appears but that was it you had those two films prior to gojima um and both of them were human oriented a drama gojira left that drama left the left the samurai and left that in the past. I mean, I'd still consider it a drama, personally. Right, but but it's still got other aspects. Unlike yeah. Invisible Man Appears and Rainbow Man, which were noir, thriller, dramas. Mm. Gojira steered away from that. It it did hold on to its drama. Yeah, I mean, Honda but it was... Brought, I believe Honda was more or less a drama or romance director. For a lot correct, of correct. Uh, I mean, I mean, most directors at the time were. They were comedy. They were romance, thriller, crime thrillers. That that was the norm. Hmm. There was no such thing as sci-fi really until until the mid fifties. We didn't have this um, kaiju genre as we know it either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so. The film did something that no other Japanese film was able to do at the time. Hmm. And it did it right. Gojira did something no Japanese audience member had ever thought would have been on their screen before. It created a world where you would have to withhold reality and embrace the art. Hmm. Gojira is not your typical mill to run 
giant monster movie. It's something greater. I'm sounding really pretentious, I know. <laughs> but what Gojira did not only created a new genre for Japan, it created a brand new industry. The the giant monster crave grew, and then you had mechs really get popular, and science fiction just boomed loudly and shouted into the sky proudly, we are here, we are here to stay. And afterwards, Japan was never the same. Even now, yes, the Kusatsu's dying out, as the traditional art form, but tokusatsu and science fiction is booming in Japan from anime to CGI films to manga to whatever you can think of TV shows, video games. It's all there still. Gojira brought something to the table nobody had seen before. And what it inspired to decades to come was giant monster movies that inspired a whole generation. Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, J.J. Abrams, Michael Doherty. And even to this day, as I mentioned, J.J. Abrams and Michael Doherty, Adam Wingard, Jordan Bogue Roberts. So many modern Hollywood directors, James Gunn, Peyton Reed, these directors have all quoted Tokusatsu from Kamen Rider to Ultraman, and especially Godzilla, as some of the things they grew up with and inspired them. And that's Steven all possible. Soberg. True. And that's all possible because of Gojira. Yeah. It's a very important film. And what it did for cinema history is more so then I would argue the likes of Casablanca, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, classics in their own right, but the impact they had on the future of filmmaking is arguably not as large. And who knows, maybe I want to get some hate mail for that. But, <laughs> hey, that's just the theory. <laughs> Kaiju conversation theory. <laughs> Thanks for watching. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's a great film. Everyone's um, clicked off. Yeah, every everyone's gone. We're just talking to ourselves now. It's a great movie. I it's not my personal favorite. Um I don't watch it that often to be honest. Uh when I do, I watch it with the commentary. Um but it's it's a great film. And I can't wait to talk about its American adaptation um, because I got a lot to say about that film. So, yeah, that I'm, <laughs> I'm out of stuff there to really say about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I've gotten Gojira out of my system. <laughs> and it's only 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's a wonderful film and honestly it given just how short production was i mean what wasn't it it was like 
Um, I want to say seven or eight months. Eight months, I think. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I mean, it's better than Godzilla vs. Megalon's production, but... Hey, compared don't to diss like, on the Megalon. No, 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 I'm not dissing on Megalon. Thank you. <laughs> but compared <laughs> to something like even even the Heisei Gamma trilogy or any Hollywood pro- Hollywood film production, it's it's a very tight schedule. I mean, Godzilla movies are notorious for being made rather quickly. Very true. Much like a lot of uh, quite cheap B movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for how for how short production was for the fact that this film had to replace what was supposed to be Toho's flagship production of the year. The fact that it well, Seven Samurai was well, se- well, In the Shadow of the Glory was also going to be a very expensive co-production, to my understanding. That's true. That's true. I mean, that was going to be the big breakout film for Japan to really go international with its productions. Um, but at least in-house Seven Samurai was really the yeah, sure. their big big film. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. I can't believe I forgot to bring up two points. What? <laughs> One, Gojira also almost made Toho go bankrupt um, because <laughs> uh, Seven Samurai was the uh, most expensive film ever made in Japan. And then a few months later, here comes Godzilla, the next and the most expensive film made in Japan. Both films basically made Toho um, bankrupt. And if they had not been blockbusters, Toho would have gone out of business right then and there. Oh, what a what an interesting alternate reality we have there. And here's another interesting alternate reality. <laughs> uh, alternate reality where Shiro Honda's family took the rights to the original 1954 Godzilla. <laughs> um, like 10 years ago, the Honda family actually tried to go after Toho um, for the for royalties um, for 54 um, because the, uh, Kurosawa's family did the same. And since Kurosawa was so heavy into the film productions, Yes, he was able to win over royalties, so every Kurosawa thing has uh, royalties attached to it for the family. The Honda family did the same. They tried, at least. Um, Toho only wanted the merchandise rights, and they were fine with that. However, um, to my knowledge, the legal dispute ended up with the court ruling that Honda's family did not, in fact, get any royalties from it because Honda was a company man, and it wasn't his product. It was the product of people like Tanaka, technically speaking. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Toho uh, ended up winning that dispute, but there is an alternate universe where Honda's family gets paid for the original (laughs) 54 film. (laughs) Then there's an alternate future where Tanaka's family gets paid. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be interesting. That would be. And now I'm out of stuff to say. Do you have any last last things uh, here? Nah, not really. We sort of covered 
covered more or less all the main uh, sort of talking points I had. Sweet. <laughs> well, in that case, it is now three minutes till eight o'clock, and we're going to go ahead and start the outro here. Before we get into that, we have a brand new iTunes review coming hot and heavy from the one and only Henry the Host. He gave it a five-star rating. Thank you so much, Henry, and sorry for being over a month late in rating this. It reads as such, listen for the monsters, but don't trust the changeling. A young and up-and-coming podcaster, Elijah does a fantastic job of addressing various topics while also making sure to retain a certain grace. If this grace is due to him being a changeling or not is to be determined, but I, for one, am excited to see where he will go as a creator and beyond. Thank you so much, Henry. I really appreciate it. Um... We need to have you back on someday, or maybe maybe I should, you know, hop on over to the the It Came From a Monster Movie podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but th- again, in all seriousness, thank you, Henry. It is much appreciated. Um, now, to close this out, as always, time to send those sweet links. Rex, <laughs> what do you got for us? Hi, YouTube link, uh, Rexino, you know the drill. Rexino, yeah. Uh, Twitter, at Rex underscore Xenomorph. Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And finally, my blog site, thatkaijublog.wordpress.com. I've gotten, I've written, wrote a new article on uh, the it um the making of the Godzilla vs. Charles Barkley commercial and I think that anyone listening, if you're interested, should give it a read. I've also got interviews with Alan Maxson, Ghidorah's right head in King of the Monsters, and um Zid, the artist of legendary comics, uh upcoming GPK Kingdom Kong. So if you're interested, feel free to check that out. Sweet. And all of this can be found in the description below. So, hi, my name's Elijah. I am uh, a guy that just hops on here and talks. Um, More so than anybody else, I think I own this thing. I think I host it. I don't know. I don't know. You did kind of die. I think I said something about that earlier. Oh, yeah. That was like two hours ago, I thought. (laughs) I could be wrong. Um, But you can... Yeah, you can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions. You can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions or at ETHOMAS1975, you know, either or. Um, If you want more kaiju stuff, you definitely want to hit follow on that ET13Productions one. I'm also on Instagram at ET13Productions, so definitely check those out. Um, And moving on to the lovely podcast links don't forget us to rate us on itunes just like henry the host did it boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you if you don't have an apple device which i don't blame you i don't you can tweet us and follow us on twitter at k-a-i-j-u underscore c-o-n-b-e-r-s if you don't have that either you can like us on facebook 
or follow us on Instagram and contact us that way. If you're like me before podcasting and just using us as background noise, you don't have any social media, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com. All lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews just like Henry's on air for everyone to hear. Please, five stars. That would be awesome. If you'd like to chat with me or Rex one-on-one, you can, and hear our opinions on stuff, you can join our Discord server. There's a lot of people in here. There's a lot of discourse. And you can meet people just like you. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell so you can be notified anytime we upload there. We got a uh, mini-series that's going to start up called Toku Phantom Tales, where I bring somebody in from our Discord server, and I just interview them for 30 minutes and learn about who they are and why they love Tokusatsu. A huge thanks to our editor, Rex, for editing this these episodes. This is going to be a long one. My timer says <laughs> we've been recording for at least probably two hours, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Rex appreciates it. It's so much fun. Thank you so very much. (laughs) And with this, we will leave you once more. But please, before, just remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys.